Uh, Let's take our Bibles tonight, please, and turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1. want to continue tonight uh, our brand new study, uh, verse by verse, through the Song of Solomon. Now, I can't take the time to offer the sort of lengthy introduction that I uh, provided last week, but I do want to reiterate a couple of key points. Uh, we understand tonight that the Song of Solomon is, uh, it's literally a series of eight love letters, uh, eight chapters. It pictures, uh, it, it literally describes a very close, intimate relationship uh, between a man and a woman. Uh, they appear to be courting initially, or, or betrothed uh, might be more literally correct, Uh, And then they're married, and it is a passionate, intimate uh, uh, marriage that is pictured throughout the book. Uh, And so there is considerable instruction here for a husband and wife uh, who desire to have a godly relationship that includes the wonderful intimacy that God intends a husband and wife to enjoy. Now, we have taken care also to uh, point out that while that, uh, everything I just said is, is literally true, it does appear that there is another layer or another purpose to the book. Uh, last week in, in the first lesson, the first message, uh, I called it a second lens through which I believe the Lord would have us to uh, view this wonderful book. And that is the lens of the book being a picture of the intimate relationship that the Lord desires to have with us, uh, his people. Initially, Israel uh, would be the literal recipients of the book and, and the ones to whom the book was initially written to. But I don't think it would be improper tonight to say that uh, we could apply the book uh, to our own relationship as New Testament church age Christians uh, to understand tonight that the Lord desires to draw us into a close, intimate relationship with himself and that he desires us to enter into such a relationship. Uh, in that context, we'll see that the book does sort of look ahead uh, on God's timeline eschatologically to future things uh, in the close, intimate relationship that God uh, will have with Israel in the millennium. So we want to take care to look through, uh, look at the book uh, through both of those lenses. There's instruction for marriage, and there's a wonderful picture, sort of an extended metaphor, uh, if you will, of God's desire to have a, a wonderfully intimate relationship uh, with uh, the Jews uh, in, in the millennial reign, uh, which is to come. So course, we have much to look forward to at that time. Uh, I want us to open in prayer, and then I want to get right into God's words tonight. Let's do that, please. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for a book like the Song of Solomon. Uh, Lord, I, I marvel at the truth that you would desire to have a close relationship with me. Uh, Lord, I am an imperfect man. Uh, You know that better than anyone, Uh, and yet you desire to enter into and to draw me into an increasingly closer relationship with you. You're a gracious God, and I I thank you tonight, Lord, for your grace. 
Father, I thank you for sending your only begotten Son so that all of this would be possible. Lord, thank you. Father, I thank you tonight that we can see uh, instruction literally for husbands and wives, that we can see truths here pictured uh, in your relationship with us, uh, you being the bridegroom and we being the bride. And Lord, we see truths here regarding the, the future relationship uh, that you desire to have with Israel as well. So much here, Father. Uh, Lord, thank you for this wonderful book. I pray that you will help me to handle it well tonight. And Lord, that you would work now in the hearts of your people, uh, the saved, baptized members of Long Hill Baptist Church. Lord, if there's uh, visitors uh, listening live tonight or listening at some point in the future, I pray that they would understand tonight that uh, in our church, uh, everything is because of Christ. Uh, Father, we understand we have the... the, the the right to come to you prayerfully in Christ alone. Lord, we understand the only way to be forgiven is in and through uh, repentance and faith in Christ alone. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing these truths in your word. Lord, I love you. I thank you. Uh, I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so here we are. We're in a Song of Solomon, sometimes called Canticles. Uh, but in most of our Bibles, it's going to be called the Song of Solomon. That's what we'll call it. Uh, here in chapter 1, we see uh, this uh, mutual expressions of love between a king. Uh, evidently, this, this king is Solomon. It's called, uh, in verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is, which is Solomon. So Solomon seems to be the penman, uh, but there is interaction being described between uh, Solomon, the king, uh, and uh, a woman uh, with whom he is obviously, they, they are obviously in love. She's, she's called a Shulamite, the Shulamite later on uh, in the book. So you'll hear me refer to her uh, that way uh, throughout the series. Uh, there is a passionate love uh, developing between uh, the king, King Solomon, uh, and this Shulamite woman here in chapter 1. Again, uh, don't lose sight. It pictures the, the passionate relationship, the passionate love that God has for us and the passionate love he desires that we would exercise uh, toward him. Now, last week, last Sunday night, uh, we looked at basically the first half of chapter 1. Uh, in which the Shulamite, this, this uh, godly woman, expresses her love for the king. And um, I should say the, the king expresses uh, his love, uh, his love. And when we get here now to the second part of the book, let me go back and make it clear. I want to make sure, <laughs> I, want to make sure I didn't get that wrong. Uh, in the first half of, of the chapter, in the first half uh, of the chapter, uh, she is expressing her love for him. So this is a picture uh, of a wife expressing her love for a husband. Uh, at a higher level, it's a picture of uh, believers expressing uh, love to the Lord. And here in the second half of chapter one, and we've got it right now, I promise you, uh, the king is responding uh, to the Shulamite. Uh, so here we have a husband or a would-be husband, uh, one who is... Uh, probably about to become a husband, uh, responding to her 
Uh, all of this, we believe, all of this picturing uh, the Lord's response to his people, uh, a wonderful expression of love from a king, uh, picturing a wonderful expression of love from the king of kings uh, to uh, all of his people. Permit me to read the second half of chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. We'll come back and make some comments on these verses tonight. Uh, here in verse uh, 8, the Bible says, well, let's go back to verse 7 for context. Uh, she asks in verse 7, she says, Tell me, uh, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest. Uh, he evidently is being addressed as a shepherd who has flocks. Uh, where does he send his flocks? Where does he take his flocks? Where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Uh, and now his response, he says, uh, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock, and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. We'll, we'll make some comments about that. Uh, he says in verse 10, Thy cheeks are comely, beautiful, with rows or strings of jewels, thy necks with chains of gold. Verse 11, he continues, we will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. He will beautify her uh, with jewelry. Verse 12 uh, continues, while the king sitteth at his table, she, re she responds now, while the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard, uh, this ointment, this spice that would be uh, uh, aromatic, uh, a perfume in, in this context, sendeth forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. She views him as a sweet-smelling bundle of myrrh. He shall lie all night betwixt my breast. This is her desire to be in a close, intimate relationship. Verse 14, my beloved is unto me as a cluster of camphor in the vineyards of, of Engedi, of Engedi, of Engedi. Verse 15, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant. Also our bed is green. We'll talk about that phrase. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. Let's stop there and pray, and then we'll come back to verse 8. I'll share some thoughts with you tonight. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, again for these thy words. Lord, I thank you for um, a wonderful picture of a uh, godly relationship. Lord, a, a loving, intimate, passionate relationship. Lord, I thank you tonight for the understanding that you desire just that with us. Father, I understand tonight that you have not intended for all of your people to be married. Some are not for various reasons. And yet, Lord, you desire to have a wonderful, close, intimate relationship with each of us. And Lord, I pray tonight that that might be especially comforted to, comforting to those who, who are not married. Lord, I pray this passage would be instructive for those of us who are married, and, and Lord, also that we would see that it's really you being pictured here and us in a close relationship. Lord, what a privilege we have uh, in Christ to enter into 
uh, such a relationship. Lord, help me now. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get right into it here uh, tonight. So uh, back in verse 7, this, uh, the Shulamite woman uh, asks a question, where might he be found uh, at a certain time? Uh, she is continuing to express her interest, uh, yes, in a very appropriate way, uh, where, where might he be found? And uh, in verse 8, we'll see tonight first, he responds, and get some notes down, please. Uh, he responds with both tenderness and grace. He responds, number one tonight, with both tenderness and uh, and grace. Now, this will be a picture of a husband's tenderness and grace toward his wife. It'll be a picture of God's tenderness and grace that he exercises uh, toward all of us. Look at verse 8 again. Uh, he says to her, if thou know not uh, where to find me, uh, he says this, O thou fairest, most beautiful among women, uh, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and uh, feed thy kids uh, thy, thy flock, if you will, besides the shepherd's tents. He says, follow along the flock. Uh, this is what he's literally saying. Follow along the flock. Follow the other shepherds uh, who are moving their flocks. Uh, at, it was, uh, she was inquiring about where they could be found uh, at high noon when the sun is the hottest. Uh, follow along the other flocks, uh, the shepherds leading those flocks, and you'll find me at that place. Uh, this would seem to be a picture of someone encouraging uh, perhaps a lost person uh, to follow uh, a, a preacher and, and his words uh, to a place where the shepherd could be found. I think that's what's literally being pictured here. Uh, there's, there's instruction here uh, to follow along the, the under-shepherds uh, and their flocks, their people being pictured here probably, to the place where the shepherd of shepherds uh, could be found. Of course, that would be great instruction uh, to someone who uh, is lost. So I think that's what's being pictured here. Uh, but let's come back and, and treat it kind of through that first lens for a moment. Uh, this is a young woman who's interested in a, uh, in, in a man, and uh, she wants to know where he might be found. And uh, she asks where they might meet at a certain uh, appointed time. And he responds very tenderly and, and graciously. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, consider this first. Look, look at this and say, well, what, what doesn't he say? He doesn't, he doesn't chasten her. Uh, he doesn't say, I can't believe you don't know where you might find me at that time of day. He doesn't belittle or criticize her. He's not unkind or unloving in any way. Uh, instead, he responds patiently with tenderness uh, and with grace. Verse 8, if thou know not... Uh, he doesn't say, can't believe you don't know not. He says, if thou know not. See again how he addresses her, O thou fairest, uh, most beautiful among women. Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flocks and feed thy kids, thy flocks, beside uh, the shepherd's tent. He responds to her very tenderly, thou fairest uh, among women. And Boy, I don't know tonight if, if you're a husband, uh, is, there, is there any conviction in the equation already? Are we always as tender and gracious toward our wives uh, as we should be? Uh, I'm a husband, and uh, <laughs> listen, if, uh, if you're like me, you, you would probably agree quickly, 
boy, I wish I could say yes. I wish I was tender and gracious toward my wife, a patient, tender, and gracious all of the time. Uh, no, we have to step back and confess, Lord, I, I know that's not the case if I'm being honest. Father, would you help me to be tender and gracious uh, toward my wife at all times? Uh, he responds tenderly, thou fairest among women. He responds graciously, if thou know not the way, uh, here's the way. No belittling, uh, no, no, no uh, intention to prop himself up by putting her down. That's just not in view here uh, at all. And so uh, I believe you have here a picture of uh, a man who, uh, not yet married, but who, who will soon be married, uh, and who is evidencing to uh, the one to whom he's perhaps betrothed or about to be betrothed, uh, he's picturing his intention to be a loving husband, uh, to be a merciful, tender, kind, loving husband. Uh, I don't think I have to remind husbands tonight, in Colossians 3 and verse 19, we are commanded husbands, Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Let's be honest. We're being honest tonight. <laughs> That's a good policy. Uh, if we're honest, we again confess we are not always as loving as we should be. And so the Lord has to command us multiple times in the New Testament uh, to love our wives. In Ephesians 5, we're commanded, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And we talked about that verse a little bit uh, last week. Well, how do we apply this, Pastor? Well, how about in this context right here, uh, let's apply it this way. Let's apply it by choosing to be tender and gracious rather than reacting to frustration or uh, with, with impatience and something less than tender kindness uh, and in uh, loving kindness. Uh, that's a practical implication of a literal view of the passage. Well, now we have that second lens. This is, this is the Lord being tender and loving and gracious uh, toward his people. And, and what a loving picture this is. Uh, how, how horrible would it be if, if God treated us the way husbands sometimes treat their wives. He doesn't. He has a, uh, a perfect patience. Uh, he, has, uh, he has a perfect love. He is perfectly gentle toward his people. I know you, you see uh, God in the Old Testament reacting harshly uh, to sin at times, and boy, that, that is a picture of God's, uh, the fact that God does not accept sin. Uh, and yet we understand as, as people living in this age of grace, uh, we encounter a God who is consistently loving and patient and peaceable and gentle uh, toward us. Take your Bible and, and turn back to Jeremiah uh, 33, if you would, just for a moment. Jeremiah 33, uh, just for a moment. Uh, in Jeremiah 33, the prophet Jeremiah, of course, uh, is, is warning a great judgment against Judah, the captivity uh, against Judah, if the people did not repent. Uh, and of course, the people did not repent, and they were carried off into uh, the captivity. The prophet goes on in that same passage, and he also foretells that some would repent 
uh, following or in response to the chastening of the captivity. Some would repent, they would turn back to God in obedience to him, uh, and that there would be a joyous time. Some would return to the land uh, because of that. I want you to hear the language that's used here. Jeremiah 33 and verse 11, uh, if you're there, see it. If not, you can just uh, hear, listen now. Uh, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness the voice of the, what's the next word there? If you're there, bridegroom and the voice of the bride. So uh, here you have a bridegroom bride relationship being pictured uh, there in Jeremiah. And this, this is not the warning about failure to repent. This, is, this, this verse deals with the blessing uh, for those who will repent and respond to the correction. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts, the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, uh, for I, for I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, saith the Lord. Uh, the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. Aren't you glad tonight? Aren't you glad tonight that we have a Savior? Uh, we have a Savior who is wonderfully merciful toward us. Understand tonight that is based in uh, the Lord's exercising of mercy toward his people, withholding uh, punishment that we justly deserve uh, because of the blood of Christ. Now, understand mercy is an attribute of God, but he's, he withholds uh, and he will continue to withhold uh, punishment that we deserve throughout history because of the Lord Jesus Christ who will keep us saved uh, throughout history, uh, throughout eternity. He's a merciful God. He'll continue to exercise mercy toward us. In Psalm 25 and verse 6, David prays, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. God has always been merciful and exercised loving kindness toward his people. In Psalm 31 and verse 9, David prays, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. Aren't you glad tonight? Aren't you glad that whenever you're in trouble, you can go to the Lord? You can go to the Lord whenever you're in trouble, regardless of what that trouble is, regardless of what it is. You can go to the Lord and find a God who is gracious and tender and merciful and loving toward his people consistently, always, forever. Amen. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Uh, he's not going to be harsh toward his people ever. Our sin is under the blood of Christ. He exercises tender, merciful, loving kindness toward his people. In Psalm uh, 119 and verse 77, the psalmist writes, Let thy tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Turn ahead if you would. Keep your, keep your finger, mark, mark the passage that we're in. But turn ahead to Luke chapter 1. Would you go there real fast? Luke chapter 1. Is, is a long chapter. It's uh, more, than, uh, more than 70 verses. 
I want you to take a look beginning in chapter 7, not chapter 76, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Uh, this is Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Zacharias speaking after the birth of John the Baptist. He's regained his ability to speak now. And John the Baptist has been born. And Zacharias says this beginning in verse 76. He says, and thou, child, he's speaking to or over John the Baptist, thou shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. That was John's ministry. Uh, verse 78 continues, um, through the tender mercy. Through the what? Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give, why? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. All of that would be enabled in and through John by God and the tender mercies of the Lord. Uh, the tender mercy of God would be part of that which enabled John to carry out that very difficult ministry of being the forerunner who would announce uh, the coming of Christ. John would depend in large part upon the mercy of God as much as the grace of God, uh, as much as the grace of God in his life and in his ministry. And boy, so do we. Uh, nothing is different. We, uh, the Lord withholds that punishment that we deserve because of his tender mercy. And he bestows blessings upon us that we, which we do not deserve uh, because he is a gracious God. Uh, just as John the Baptist uh, needed to be able to rely both upon the mercy and the grace of God to accomplish his important ministry, uh, we, we are equally dependent on both the grace and the mercy of God to carry out the service that the Lord has called us to. Uh, how important to understand that tonight, both the grace and the tender mercy of God. Isn't it wonderful to know tonight that the Lord has a tender heart toward his people? It's made possible by the blood of Christ, which has covered our sins and set us in a, in a position of righteousness before God the Father. It's all made possible because of Christ and his blood. Please never lose sight of that. I beg you, please. Uh, and because of Christ, we have now entered into an intimate relationship or the possibility of an intimate relationship with God the Father who is tender and merciful and kind and loving and gracious toward us. What an unthinkable privilege. What an unthinkable privilege. Pastor, that's great truth. What can I do with that tonight? Well, I would encourage you, if I may, to praise God for his tender mercies toward his people. Would you, would you just take a moment and say, Lord, I praise you uh, for your mercy and your tenderness that you exercise toward us. Uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your tender mercy that you exercise uh, toward me. Just take a moment and thank God and praise him for that. Tell him how thankful uh, you are for that. And then if I may also encourage you tonight, ask God in the next breath to help you exercise that same grace and mercy toward others. 
You know, we're not home in heaven yet. We're still having to deal with each other in our imperfected state. I know I got a new nature the day that I was saved, but I'm not anywhere near as mature as I will be when I'm home in heaven with the Lord. And neither are you, neither are any of us. Uh, would you ask the Lord in response to that truth, uh, Lord, help me to exercise that same tender mercy and grace that you have shown to me, help me to receive that and take that and exercise it in my relationship with my brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Listen, you remember, please, this is commanded in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, where Paul writes under inspiration to the church members at Ephesus, and be ye kind, Ephesians 4, 32, and be ye, all of us, all of them, all of us, be ye kind one to another. What's the next word? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, that's grace, tenderness followed by grace, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, all of you saved people. That's a command, not a suggestion, uh, not a this would be nice now that you're saved. No, that is a, the language of imperative. It's, it's a command. Thankfully, God makes it possible. He always makes possible what he commands. Praise him for that tonight. Lord, thank you. You don't just command certain things that are impossible. You command that which is possible now that I'm saved, now that I have the Holy Spirit, now that I have that a power of God uh, in the person of God, the Spirit of God indwelling me. Don't forget you're indwelt by not only the Son, uh, forgive me, not only the Spirit, but also the Son and the Father. Uh, we're without excuse. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. There will always be an ex explanation for sin. Let me say that again. There will always be an explanation for sin. I gave into my lust. But there will never be an excuse for sin. We're saved now. The power of sin is broken at the cross. It's broken in our lives. We have the Spirit of God in us, empowering us, strengthening us as we yield to him. We needn't give in to any temptation. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Uh, so we see here tonight this wonderful response of the king, uh, tenderness and grace toward his wife, picturing the tenderness and grace of the king of kings that he exercises toward his bride, which is us. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. I have something to praise you for uh, tonight. Let's move on here now. Number two tonight, he responds... Uh, to his uh, suitor, the Shulamite, by expressing his love for her uh, poetically. Poetically, he'll use a simile. Remember, a simile uses like or as. He'll say, you are like this to me. My love is like this. Uh, he says in verse 9, uh, so verse number 2, number 2 tonight is he responds by expressing his love for her. Uh, she has come and expressed her love. Now he responds by expressing his love. He does it poetically. Verse 9 says this. He says, I have compared thee, the king, to his, his suitor at this point, the, the Shulamite. I have compared thee, O my love. So there's the expression of love. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Now, you might look at that and say, uh, if you're a husband, you might look at that and say, I'm not sure I should compare uh, my, my wife, uh, I'm not sure I should compare my wife 
to a horse or to a company of horses. And guys, let me encourage you tonight to be careful if you do. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, Solomon, he does just that. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Now, look, let's look at this first through that first lens. This is a, a relationship, a human relationship. He calls her his love. She's expressed her love. He's returning that, expressing uh, his love. This is all good. Uh, and then he goes on to compare her to something um, <laughs> that is surprising, maybe, until you, until you consider the, the picture or the background here. He compares her to something that was no doubt beautiful, beautiful and strong a company of horses uh, in Pharaoh's chariots. Now, let's just think that through uh, biblically for a moment. We know that Solomon had purchased a collection of horses from Egypt, 1 Kings 10 and verse 28. 1 Kings 10 and verse 28. Solomon had horses uh, brought out of Egypt uh, and a linen yard, that verse says. That, that underlying word has the idea of a collection of them. So uh, Solomon was a collector, if you will, of horses. He had purchased horses uh, out of Egypt. And no doubt they were, they were horses that were uh, fit for a king. Uh, they would have been among the best of the best. Uh, now stop and think about, um, picture in your mind, if you can, what might be the best of the best uh, of horses. Have you ever been uh, up close to a horse? Not, not a picture, not some, a movie that you saw, something online, but you were uh, on a farm or, or someplace where there were horses. Uh, not an old broken down horse, but, but a young, vibrant, strong uh, horse. Uh, they're impressive. They are beautiful. They are strong. Uh, they are, they're really amazing creatures. Pastor, should I call my wife a creature? No, don't do that. No, don't do that either. Turn back to Job chapter 39, just for a moment, if you would. Go back to Job. Do take your Bible and go there, please. Go back to Job chapter 39, just for a moment. Uh, you remember in the book of Job, uh, Job had suffered many trials and God had permitted them for a reason. And throughout the course of those trials, uh, Job seems to progress from wondering about these trials, why is God allowing it, to um, really questioning God in an increasingly more inappropriate way. It seems that, that he got to a point in the course of those trials where he began to angrily question God. And God responded to him uh, in chapter 39 really wonderfully. He began to point Job to different elements of his creation. God did that. Uh, he points God to this animal and this animal and says, hey, Job, maybe you ought to think about who you're talking to. Maybe you ought to think about who you're angry at. Maybe you ought to think about who you're questioning. Uh, I'm God. Uh, I'm the designer of this, the designer of that. Do you think I might know what I'm doing? And one of the most powerful uh, creatures that God points Job to in the course of correcting him uh, is a horse. Uh, we're here in Job 39 and, and verse 19. I want to read uh, four or five verses here. Uh, here God says to Job, Hath thou given uh, the horse what? Strength. Strength. In the Bible, horses picture strength. Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder, majesty, 
Uh, verse 20, canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He's strong and majestic and glorious. He paweth in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes, goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear, he's not fearful, and is not affrighted, neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage, neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, ha, ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off the thunder of the captains uh, and the shouting. And uh, he's pictures not being afraid of anything in that scene, but strong and courageous and majestic and glorious. Uh, this is how God views, how God pictures, how God describes a horse. And uh, boy, once, once you understand that, you can, you can bring that understanding back to verse nine. Go back there, please. Come back to Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse nine. Uh, and with that understanding, let's, let's read verse 9 through the, the lens of that understanding. Solomon says, I have compared thee, O my love, to not one but a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. I, I view you as a beautiful, strong, majestic, glorious, bold, courageous woman. All the things that a horse is, or the way God would describe uh, a young, majestic, strong horse. Um, that makes more sense, doesn't it? That makes more sense. You might just want to keep the descriptions of the horse and not, not refer to her as a horse, but uh, you can understand the verse uh, as we compare Scripture with Scripture. Uh, Solomon is illustrating. I'll just say, hey, honey, I love you. Hey, babe, I love you. Okay, bye. No, he's, he's investing a little bit of effort uh, in his expression of love. He's taking time to uh, use a bit of poetry to bring a strength of language into his expression. Listen, God could have given us uh, one chapter or one book, but he has invested uh, a great deal, 66 books, 1178 chapters, I believe, uh, many words. God has invested himself greatly in giving us many of his words to express his love toward us. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4 and verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering, the blood sacrifice for our sins. May I say this tonight? That's love. That's love. And God invests himself in saying it many times, many ways. He puts some effort into the expression of love. And uh, you know, that's of course a great understatement that doesn't begin uh, to do, uh, do a service to God's effort in, in his expression of love toward us. 
he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Well, praise God for that. I'm not worthy of that. He loves me and you that much. Um, in our chapter tonight, the correct response to that is to express our love right back to him. And of course, uh, in his word, he's taught us to do that by obeying him. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in, chariots, in Pharaoh's chariots. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, take some time to invest yourself in expressing your love to your wife, please. Maybe it's been a time since you've even told her that you've loved her. Or maybe uh, you're somewhere out on the other side of that continuum and you say it so much that it maybe has lost some of its force of strength. Uh, maybe you want to find some creative, godly, poetic ways to express your love. Uh, pray about that. Lord, help me, lead me, guide me in uh, showing my love to my wife, but also telling her, telling her. Give her heart to be encouraged by that. Let's continue on tonight. I want to look at verse 10. Number three tonight, uh, he, uh, the king, viewed her as very beautiful despite the effects of all that she had suffered, uh, and he told her. Remember back in, in the first half of the chapter, uh, she talked about, she alluded to uh, some difficulties, and she pictured that with the effect of the sun on her. She had been uh, sunburned uh, through uh, all, now that would be being out in the sun literally and, and working in the sun, and what's pictured there is the difficulty, we believe, of the tribulation. That, that seems to be the case, but um, come back to kind of a more literal understanding of that, uh, and you have a husband who chooses to view his wife as beautiful despite the fact that she has been affected by difficulties and trials. Uh, men who are older, uh, as your wife gets older, both of you are going to more and more take on the appearance of aging. <laughs> the difficulty of the years begins to add up uh, and take a toll on our appearance. So we understand that's part of the natural process uh, it's, it's part of the, the curse that uh, is the result of sin, of course. Uh, it's not unexpected, but what a wonderful thing uh, that a man would choose to view his wife as just as beautiful as the day he married her uh, as she ages. And of course, uh, men, I have no doubt, I have no doubt tonight that you're able to do that. Your wife is and continues to be beautiful in your eyes. And uh, you ought to tell her that. You ought to tell her that. Uh, verse 10, um, our king says it this way. He says, thy cheeks are comely or lovely. You're lovely. Uh, with rows or strings of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. So it's poetic language. Thy cheeks are, are, are lovely. Uh, they're like, it's metaphor here. He doesn't use like or as. Uh, they're like uh, strings of jewels. Uh, the next with chains of gold. He views her as a very beautiful, uh, not a thing, person, <laughs> uh, like jewels or gold or something else that would be very lovely. So he views her as beautiful and he tells her, husbands, you, you ought to tell your wives uh, that they are beautiful. Tell them that. They are beautiful. Uh, tell them that. Uh, and then he goes on and he says this, 
next, he promises to adorn her with beautiful things. Now, this would seem to be the literal promise of a man who is preparing to marry a woman. He says in verse 11, we will make the borders of gold with, with studs of silver. And you know, Solomon, of course, was a rich man. And so he may be literally promising here that when he marries her, he will invest his wealth in uh, beautifying her even more, uh, even more. He will, he will care for her and protect her and uh, invest himself in, in, her, in her beauty. And uh, this is clearly intended to be something that would be appreciated by her. Uh, he would invest himself in things that she would appreciate. This would be an example uh, of the love that he intended to continue investing in her uh, throughout their marriage. Now, bring the second lens to this verse, and you have a picture uh, of the Lord's promise to uh, not only to see his people as beautiful, but to beautify them, to make them literally, actually beautiful uh, in his eyes. May I ask you to turn back to Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, please do go there. I want you to see this, not just hear it. So if you could quickly go there, I appreciate it. I realize I have you jumping around a little bit tonight uh, here at the end of the day, but it's, it's good for us to do that. Um, I give you a moment. Isaiah 61. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61 deals with, among other things, millennial promises, promises that God makes to uh, Israel in particular regarding the thousand-year reign of Christ uh, here upon the earth. So be reminded again, the next thing that we're looking for in God's timeline is the rapture, the catching up of saved people. Off to heaven we go, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage, the marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, seven years later, we return with Christ uh, at that battle of Armageddon where the Lord will secure a victory over the enemies of Israel and then usher in his thousand year millennial reign here upon the earth. And Isaiah 61 uh, would certainly seem to be an allusion to that time and how God will not only beautify the earth, that is discussed uh, in the Old Testament, uh, but his people, his people. It is poetic language, but it's wonderful language. Let's begin looking here at Isaiah 61 and, and verse one. Here the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah speaking, uh, it's signifying that these are God's words. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. And here's this phrase, this wonderful phrase, to give unto them beauty for ashes to give unto them beauty in the place of ashes, the oil of joy in place of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, uh, that they might be called trees of righteousness, 
the planting of the Lord that he, so that he might be glorified. That's God's purpose in all of these blessings so that the glory of God would be seen that he would be glorified, praised and glorified by his people, the recipients of all of these wonderful blessings. Uh, in the millennium, no doubt, no doubt, God will exchange these difficult trials for these wonderful blessings. This is promised specifically to uh, Israel, to the Jewish people, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Uh, he will beautify his people in every way. Pastor, isn't that referring to a spiritual beauty? Well, sure, yes, it is, but uh, what's more beautiful than a spiritual beauty? Beauty for ashes. Uh, praise God. Pastor, what should I do with it? Well, praise God. Uh, praise God that he's going to reach the people of Israel just like he's reached us. We don't understand this false teaching that God is done with Israel and uh, he'll, he'll not reach his people in the tribulation and then beautify them and bless them greatly in the millennium. No, uh, those promises are, are left unfulfilled, and it, but they will be fulfilled. God is a God who keeps promises and um, giving them beauty for ashes is most certainly uh, one of them. Um, the Lord will beautify his people as the king promises to do here in our passage tonight. We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. I will beautify you. I will beautify you. Uh, the king of kings will accomplish the same for his people. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Thank him for that. Thank him for that. Let's, let's continue quickly. We're, we're almost done. Uh, the Shulamite answers these wonderful statements, these wonderfully loving statements. She answers, and of course, this is a picture of our right response to the King of Kings expressing his love to us. And so the next verses are especially instructive for all of us, <laughs> all of us. They're instruction for all of us. Uh, she desires to be pleasing to him uh, as a wife, uh, as God's people should be desiring in our relationship to him. Verse 12, she says it this way. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard, this costly ointment, this aromatic perfume, of course, Jesus' uh, feet were anointed with the same, uh, sendeth forth the smell thereof. Uh, it's not a stinky thing that would make her undesirable to him. Uh, rather, it's a wonderful uh, perfume, an aromatic thing that would be very pleasant. She desired to be pleasant uh, for uh, her husband, uh, her king, uh, her lord. <laughs> uh, that's what's being pictured here. The, the, the bride who is us, we should desire to be pleasing to the bridegroom. Uh, as she expresses here, this should be our desire. Uh, I could point you to Revelation 4 and verse 11 where uh, the Lord teaches us that we are created, all things are created for his pleasure. Don't lose sight of that. And so our desire in our relationship with the Lord uh, shouldn't be just to get, 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 but rather our chief desire should be to be pleasing 
to him. And no doubt that's what the Shulamite is expressing here in verse 12. And then she, uh, she compares him to a pleasant bundle of myrrh in a cluster of, of camphor uh, and describes her desire to have him close to her. Uh, she viewed him as very desirable and very attractive and, and desired to enter into uh, a physically close relationship with him. Now, I want to be careful here in how I say this, but listen, <laughs> we should desire to be in a close relationship with the Lord as well. And it should be our hope and our desire uh, to be uh, in the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, as I mentioned this morning, he's ascended into heaven uh, with a physical body, a glorified body now. And our desire should be to be with him. Uh, our King, our Savior, uh, the Son of God, the one who's made it possible for us to have uh, eternal life. Our desire should not be to continue in this world, taking what pleasure we may from this world, uh, seeking to be entertained and uh, comfort uh, and, and from worldly things. No, that's not, that's not our hope or what should be our desire. Uh, our desire should be uh, that we, the bride, would be with in the physical presence of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, to uh, desire that is the most pleasant thing uh, that we could ever know. And that's no doubt what is pictured here uh, in verses 13 and 14. A bundle of myrrh, verse 13, is my well-beloved unto me. Uh, he shall lie all night betwixt uh, my breast. Now there's a there, there's a, uh, a very clear picture there of uh, two who uh, are married and who enter into the, the physical aspect of that marriage. Uh, at no doubt, again, it's a picture of the desire we should have to be in the physical presence, simply in the physical presence uh, of Christ, uh, that we might worship him in his presence. Verse 14, my beloved is unto me as a cluster of camphor in the vineyards of En Gedi. Uh, he responds in, in, in verse 15 uh, by comforting her with uh, the assertion that she is beautiful in his eyes. He reiterates that he views her as beautiful. He knows that she needs that comfort. God knows that we need this comfort as well. Uh, we need to know that God views us as righteous in his eyes because of the blood of Christ, a beautiful thing in his eyes, but not because of us, but rather because of the blood of Christ. Behold, verse 15, thou art fair, beautiful. He responds to her, the bridegroom to the bride. My love, my love, my love. Behold, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes. You're beautiful in my eyes. Behold, verse 16, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. I want to just take a couple of minutes. Uh, you, can't, you can't just leave that verse like that's easy to understand because that phrase is not easy to understand. Our bed is green. Uh, what does that mean, Lord? Well, when you get there, you might pray that. Lord, I'm not sure what that means. I think I understand the rest of what's being pictured here, but what does that mean? Our, our bed is green. Uh, so, you know, we look at the underlying word. It literally means green. Uh, but here, in the context of this poetry, I, I think it's pretty obvious that that word is being used poetically uh, as it is elsewhere in Scripture. Um, in 
Psalm 52 and verse 8. The psalmist says, uh, I am like a green olive tree. He's not saying, Lord, I'm a green olive tree. No, God made him a man, not a tree. So that's a simile. Lord, uh, it's poetic. Uh, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Uh, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. So there is lots of precedent, or at least some precedent throughout Scripture for this word green uh, to be used not literally, but, but poetically. Uh, one man said it denotes fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Uh, picture a garden. Uh, we haven't had enough rain recently, so if you have a garden and you're not watering it, it might be getting a little yellow and dry and maybe even a little brown. And when that happens to your garden, the vegetables that you've anticipated may not be coming forth. Uh, your plants may shrivel up before there's a opportunity for your fruit to come to fruition, uh, if you will. Uh, so we understand that uh, a green garden would give you the hope that there will be some fruit, <laughs> some produce uh, at the end of the season. Uh, this, this is probably how the word is being used. Uh, there is an anticipation of a fruitfulness in their relationship. Uh, it, it literally, I guess, would refer to the marriage bed and an anticipation that there might be uh, the blessing of children, uh, the fruitfulness of an intimate physical relationship. Um, what is that picture? Why, why is it here? Well, through the second lens that we've discussed, I uh, believe it's clear, and, and boy, isn't it clear that as we enter into a relationship with God the Father through God the Son, he desires that there would be fruit in our relationship with him. He desires that we would serve him and that there would be fruit born uh, in that relationship. He desires that we would lead people to Christ. He desires that we would serve him uh, wherever, whenever, however he wants. Not in our strength, but in his strength. Not where we desire, when we desire, how we desire, but with the yieldedness to the Lord and being strengthened by him, uh, recognizing that Christ is the vine. We're not the vine, he's the vine. Uh, the fruit is ultimately brought forth by him, but he desires to use us. He desires to use us in that equation. So uh, here I believe when you look at uh, verse 13, 14, 15, and get to verse 16, uh, there's an anticipation of fruitfulness in the marriage bed, if you will, but that is being used clearly to picture the fruitfulness that God desires in a close relationship with us. Uh, Pastor, what do I do with that? Well, how about praying, God, use me any way that you desire. God, use me. Draw me into a, a close relationship with you. Give me a, a burning passion to live in a close walk with my Savior. And Lord, lead me and guide me as I yield to you. Help me to do that. When I start straying off and going my own way, tap me on the shoulder uh, harder and harder until I say yes, Lord, and turn around and get back on the path that you've called me to. And, and, and Lord, help me to be about the business of sharing the gospel message with the lost that there might be fruit in our relationship. Lord, help us. Hope that's a help tonight. Let's stop there and pray, please. Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty and wonder and poetry um, of this passage. It is truly wonderful. 
Lord, you're a great God. You are an amazing, great poet. And we've seen that in the Psalms and in Job and Ecclesiastes. And here, of course, in the Song of Solomon, uh, you're a great God. And Lord, these are your words. These are your words. They're the finest poetry that has been penned. They're your words. And Lord, you are picturing uh, your desires beautifully and plainly. Lord, thank you tonight for uh, a passage like this. You reveal amazingly your desire to have a relationship, and not just a relationship, a close one, with imperfect people like us. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Uh, give us a heart filled with gratitude tonight, not just for our salvation, but for the fact that you desire to have a close, fruitful fruitful relationship with your people. Lord, if we've not had a desire to walk closely with you, I pray that you'd help us to confess that even now. Lord, if we've not thought enough about the fruitfulness that you desire in our relationship, I pray, Lord, that we would confess that right now and ask you, Lord, for grace, strength, to be drawn into a closer relationship with you. And Lord, to be about the business of bringing forth fruit in that relationship for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.